This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Just like a wild wind sings a song, sounds like she's singing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Just like a wild wind sings a song, sounds like she's singing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And the days go by like a strand in the wind, in the web that.
energy in space come from? The answer was found after decades of work by scientists. Space and energy was spontaneously created in an event we now call the Big Bang. At the moment of the Big Bang, an entire universe full of energy came into existence, and with it, space. It all inflated, just like a balloon being blown up. So where did all this energy and space come from? How does an entire universe full of energy, the awesome vastness of space, and everything in it simply appear out of nothing? For some, this is where God comes back into the picture.
Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man. Not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world. A decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give you the future and old age of security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen, and you are watching and listening to The Brett Keen Show. For now on, we're going to be doing a lot of live game streaming, but I'm also going to talk about religion, atheism, all the other religions out there, and I'm also going to discuss philosophy, science, all while playing a video game. So, I hope that you guys are cool with that. I feel like it'll give you more to look at visually while we're having conversations and talking. Um, in the future, I might every once in a while do a one-on-one -on -one with somebody or go on somebody's podcast and stream it to my own channel. Who knows? Right now, we're in the process of creating a character. We're playing the game Skyrim. We... um. As far as I'm concerned, I started out on Morrowind, and then I started playing games like Oblivion, and then the Fallout series came out. Well, the Fallout series was already existing. I'm talking about the three, four-dimensional version of it, like Fallout 3 and Vegas, and then, of course, Fallout 4, which, by the way, Fallout 4 is, even though it's one of the most criticized Fallout games, I felt it was probably the best. And that's only because I was able to mod it, um, and also other people continued to contribute much content to the game. So it made it a hundred times better than what it originally was. 
how the modders are so awesome, including myself, that we were able to actually create different alternative endings for the game because the one that Bethesda came up with absolutely sucked. Um, basically, you kill all the different factions, and um, if you end up becoming a part of the Institute, you're going to be a part of uh, either killing your own son in the game or watching your son die from cancer. It's a pretty negative-ass ending after all that work and time, so a lot of us got together, and we ended up making alternatives where you could save the father, you could save your family, you could also uh, democratically, um, peacefully work out everything. And any quest that tried to give you some kind of moral dilemma, you always had a way out. You could either talk your way out of it, or you could do something that... It wouldn't end negatively and, you know, hurt your consciousness. Well, I remember when I first seen Skyrim, my son actually started playing it. I didn't even realize at the time that it was from Bethesda. It had been so long since Bethesda created a game. It had been so long since I played Fallout 3 and Vegas and all that that I didn't even know they came up with something new. And for whatever reason, when I first, like, seen some videos of it, I wasn't... It just didn't do it for me. It just felt like it was more of a combat game from what I've seen on video. But then my son actually purchased it, and I watched him play it. i seen him deal with the dragon at the beginning, the beheading, the whole wagon scene, all that. And then running down to Riverwood and... You know, selling some items off, picking plants and all that. And I started to realize as he made his way to Whiterun and took on his first dragon that the game actually was a role-playing game and it was far superior to Oblivion and um, Fallout. And it's one of the reasons why Skyrim, of course, is probably the greatest piece of work that Bethesda ever put together. The games prior to it were good, but this one was, a, I would say, 100 steps up whenever it comes to graphics and depth and all that. I mean, you literally felt like you were in a completely different world. Now, some of you are going to probably be watching this video and saying to yourself, What's the deal here? How come you're not on the wagon? Where's the beheading? Where's uh, Altrif and all this kind of stuff? Well, I, uh, I've i got an alternate start where I can choose where I begin at. As you can see, these are some of my mods that I created. You're going to see a lot of my mods in this broadcast. This is my family. I put them into the game. I created each one of them and... Um, you know, I enjoy, I've got, I probably created over a dozen followers of my family as well as friends. If you watch, you're going to notice that my kids, my wife, my brother, my sister, and then on top of it, my friend J-Dubs is sitting over there on that bench to the right, and also a friend of mine named Mark Felton. My friend Mark Felton, I told a personal story about this a while back, he actually was on his way to college um, I was 17, he was 18, he was killed in an automobile accident because there was a drunk driver who ran him off the road, almost killing his pregnant woman, as, but uh, succeeding in killing my best friend in the entire world.
it's something I've never been able to heal from. This was a guy who I grew up with. I was literally, we were babies, grew up together. He was like a brother to me. Um, to be honest with you, most deaths that have happened in my family, I never got over. They say with time comes healing, but every time it's a birthday or it's one of their birthdays or it's a Christmas, I'm reminded of um, the loss. I remember when I used to be an atheist and would think that I would never be able to see them again. It was devastating, painful to imagine that there was no purpose or meaning and that I simply was never going to see those that I loved or cared about again. A lot of the, they say statistically that a majority of atheists are young people. A lot of them are young people. It's not until they get older and start experiencing life and experiencing good and evil for themselves where they really uh, find themselves appreciating and taking the time that they have as cherished. I think um, a lot of my friends that used to be atheists, they had one of the same kind of miracles happen to them that I had, and that seeing life brought into the world. For some people, when they watch TV or they, uh, I guess, watch shows or something like that, they, they see children and babies born in the world all the time on TV, and I guess they just take it as, well, that's just a normal part of life or whatever. And they never, until they actually hold their own child in their hand, until they look into the eyes of their own baby, and also look into the eyes of the woman who bore their child, while she's sitting there holding your offspring, something changes inside of you. They even say scientifically on a biological level, from that moment, you change. Now, sure, there's a rare amount of people out there that simply don't have that instinct. They don't have that desire. They don't. Um, there are some people out there that they don't see the miracle. They would be willing to abort their child, or they'd be willing to have the baby and then throw it in a dumpster in the cold of winter and not think twice about it and then run off. There's people out there who have absolutely no control over their willpower and they decide that they want to go out and have sex and be promiscuous and then they wonder why it is that nine months from that point on they're going to end up having a child. But whether they kill it or whether they harm themselves in the process, it doesn't take away the value of life, does it? It doesn't take away that a miracle was basically destroyed. And I believe that every person on the planet has that opportunity to experience miracles. I think every one of us in life, we've experienced miracles, but we took it for granted. If we just think about how time in the universe works, we just think about how if we would have went left instead of right, or we would have made this decision over another thing, um, how much of a butterfly effect or how much impact our choices have on not only ourselves 
but everyone around us. Everything we do changes the world and moves it forward. And some things, uh, almost seem to repeat themselves and, and take us backwards. You notice that? That's how much impact we have. Everything we do is a part of the universe. We are the eyes that actually observe our universe and observe our life. We are, if Carl Sagan is right, and we are children of the, the light, children of the stars, we are the, the stardust, then the Bible is right whenever it says that God made us from the dust and the materials of the earth. That's where the stars go. The remnants end up falling onto a planet or world. <clears throat> That's one of the things that I've always found amazing about the concept of God. If you look at any other religion out there, a lot of people say, how do you know which religion is right? How do you know what is true? One of the fascinating things about the Bible, what the Bible has in it, for those atheists that don't get it, and you really believe that if you looked into a pagan religion or the Muslim religion, if you can't see the difference between it and Judaism and Christianity, then you're not looking hard enough. Or you're just simply not looking at all. And I'll explain why. If you were to go in the library right now, and you were to grab a Quran, or you were to grab some kind of book off a mythology shelf having to do with Zeus or Hercules or any one of the pagan gods, Let's go. you're going to find that the book will describe for you how that god interacted with mankind, and then the story is basically at an end. It tells you a fantasy version of what happened to those gods. Many of the pagan gods were absolutely annihilated and destroyed, some of them destroyed by titans. Well, we know for a fact that that didn't happen. None of the titans actually ever existed, and we never actually witnessed Zeus or Hercules or any of those forms of gods die. But whenever it comes to Jesus Christ, we actually have an over an abundance of historical evidence that Christ actually existed. So we have the history there. And we also have the bodies, the dead bodies of many of the writers and those who participated in the Bible. To make matters worse, when you read a story of like Hercules or something or Mithra, the sun god, or any of these things that appear to have similarities with Christianity, these are entities that usually got one book themselves, and how do I put this? All right, I'll go with it. I'll go with it this way so you can understand. When you read the Bible, you're not reading just one book. You're reading a collection. There's over 80 to 100 books out there. Some of them were not canonized, and each one of them were written by a completely unique person. An original person, as where if you were to read the Quran, it supposedly was written by one single person. That one person got to narrate and invent and completely attribute whatever they wanted to their concept of God. When you read about Hercules or Zeus, you've got one book by a writer 
who created the fantasy and the story, and there's a little bit of lore behind it, but you don't have an entire legacy of book after book after book of generation after generation doing this. The most the other gods ever were given, besides their one-story hit, was some of them had temples built to them, and that's it. They don't have a bunch of unique witnesses. According to the Bible, Moses, Joshua, David, all the way up to Malachi, all these different figures, Adam and Eve, every single one of these people claim to have actually witnessed God and interacted with them. For thousands of years, humans have claimed to have interactions with the God of the Bible. But if you go to look at any of the other gods, they have one single book. There isn't several books written about one god, even in the pagan religion where it's all about outside gods. None of them have their own collection of stories where people carried it on. It's one of the reasons why paganism is dead. There isn't 10 books about Zeus and 10 different authors and writers. Unless you count these fantasy TV shows that clearly indicate that it's mythology. The Bible does not do that. It was written by real people who claim to have real experiences. Alright, so I hope you're enjoying the gameplay so far. Looks like my family is doing pretty good. I made a video recently where I talked about a challenge for Christians as well as atheists. And the challenge was is that if two Christian parents and their children were kidnapped, along with two atheist parents and their kids were kidnapped, and the hostage taker basically said, you have a choice. You can either willfully die for the other parent's children, or you can die right now. Which one would you do? Basically, the atheist could die for the Christian children, and the Christians could die for the atheist children. Unfortunately, the Christians out there, um, I have discovered in the last year that a majority of my supporters, those who donate to me as well as watch me, or usually a majority atheist yes how do i know this because i put up a lot of polls and a lot of surveys and i posted things like is god real is god dead does god never existed and 90 percent of the votes were people who didn't believe in god so that tells me that a lot of the people who are actually paying attention to my community as well as watching my videos are non-believers. Why would Christians vote that there isn't a God, right? It's logical, it's rational. So I found that out, and then I did my challenge video because I was interested in hearing what atheists and Christians had to say. And unfortunately, not one single Christian except for TTOR, which is a friend of mine who is a Christian, a young earth creationist who actually said that he would die for the children of atheists. 
and he would willfully die. He did say that he would fight to the death before his life is ended. He's not just going to stand there and let himself be killed, which is perfectly fine. That's okay. I don't expect anybody to just stand there and let somebody take you out or hurt you. Well, about two or three atheists have responded so far. And both atheists have said that they would die for the children of Christians. And I asked them to explain themselves. Why would you die for Christian children for? Why would you sacrifice your life, especially believing that once you're dead, it's over? Because these particular, these specific atheists, they don't um, believe there's an afterlife. Obviously, they don't believe there's a God. They don't believe they have a soul. So why would they give up their their existence? Why would they allow their gene pool to be completely deleted off of the earth for strangers and most likely kids who are going to end up being believing in God anyway? One atheist described to me that it's because this is how nature made him. Nature made him willing to give sacrifice he says that according to evolution and nature and court and according to the psychology of tribalism that christians are a part of his tribe that he actually has people in his family who are that he considers a part of his group so if he dies it helps the genes move forward that was his explanation and that's fine if you want to use psychology and say, well, you're in a tribe, so you're willing to die, so your tribesmen can continue on. Well, there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because of the fact that the Christian children are young, you have no idea if they're going to contribute to the tribe or not. You don't know if in the future they become evil or psychotic killers or they end up being the very reason why your tribe gets wiped out there's so many variables that could happen with the kids who survived due to your death that you have no idea if they're going to have a positive impact or a negative so what that tells me is that you are an atheist with faith you believe that your life will actually mean something you believe that your death will somehow positively impact humanity in some kind of way, or at least a small group of it. <clears throat> Isn't that fascinating? By answering that way, you basically believe that your fate, if it were sealed, if you were destroyed, it would somehow make the world better. Because... When you look at children, ladies and gentlemen, as I said in the very beginning of the video, all children are beautiful, right? They're all beautiful. But unfortunately, after time, some kids will stray away. They, some kids will become evil. Some kids will get into drugs. Some kids will commit violence. Some kids will walk into a high school and kill everybody. You don't know. Some kids will go on to be the president of the United States and then lie to its people over and over and over. 
as far as you know, that kid could end up being the Antichrist. We can all hope that the kid would grow up and be the next Albert Einstein, right? So the atheist has faith. He has so much faith that he's willing to die for children that he doesn't even know. Because that's the hypothetical. That was the question. Would you die for a stranger's children, especially if they had a, t a completely different spectrum or theological position? And you said yes. Now, my friend Adam, he argued that there might be a lot of atheists out there willing to sacrifice themselves because of something that I brought up a while back. You see, according to stats, atheists already have the highest substance abuse, and they also have the highest suicide rate over all religions and beliefs and views out there. So if that is the case, then to do a sacrifice isn't really so much for other people, but it's to basically rid themselves of the negativity or what they find wrong with this world. They're getting rid of themselves so they don't have to suffer or feel pain anymore. That's why I would suspect someone would commit suicide in the first place, right? Because they're sick of life. They're sick of the system and the way everything's set up. But a majority of atheists have a higher suicide rate compared to all religions combined. So that's another motive on why somebody that is non-believer would be willing to take themselves out. Not just because they have this sense that they did something altruistic to help others, but they didn't want to live in the first place, if that makes sense. I mean, if you had a choice, if you knew you were going to die, and you wanted to die, would you rather hang yourself? Would you rather cut your wrist while sitting in a bathtub? Or have your life actually mean something for a temporal moment in time where your life actually saves the lives of others? That's kind of a good trade-off, isn't it? You don't want to live, you hate life, and now you get to give up your life, and somehow it's going to be good for somebody else. You know, that's how a lot of people who commit suicide end up thinking anyway. Did you know that? People who commit suicide usually tell themselves that life and the world would be better without them. They think if they destroy themselves, that everyone would be happier. Because sometimes a person who commits suicide feels like they're a burden on the world, a burden on the planet. How do I know that? Because I myself, I suffer from severe depression, and I've also had people I love commit suicide. So I know what it's like to feel like a burden. I know what it's like to feel as though you're just not doing enough, that maybe you're more of a problem than you are good, that you're more of the problem than the solution. I know what that feels like. And then it goes back to looking into the eyes of my kids and looking into the eyes of my wife, and realizing that as long as I'm alive, I get to experience the miracle, the miracle that is life. So the atheist tried to argue with me and basically say, look, you know, it's a part of the tribal thing. It's a part of the psychology. It's a part of, you know, trying to move the tribe forward. 
without even knowing if it's going to have that effect that they're looking for. Then the question, of course, goes into this. What happened in the environment? What went on with evolution and variables? And in abiogenesis, which is the beginning transition into evolution, what happened in the environment that made a human even have the ability to think like that? Or even philosophize about life and death in the first place? What made this happen? What made it to where a person thinks that their genes are somehow Okay, let me let me try to put it this way. You see I'm here I'm sitting here playing a video game. When you look at this video game, you all do realize when you're watching and looking at it that this game in order for it to exist, it requires a person who imagined it up. Okay, the story didn't just come into existence all by itself. It didn't just, the game didn't just appear on the store shelves. Someone actually wrote a story and then a bunch of people came together Let's go. and they created scripts and codes and information in order to make everything that you see in this imagery work. What do you want me to carry? All the visual, all the color, all the textures. They created this, and because of the creation of it, it also created the tone and the effect that it has on your emotions and feelings. They gave you so many alternatives that it left you with the ability to choose on how you want to play. You can be an evil character. You can be a good character. You can do all these different things. All right? Now, if I were to ask you the simple question of, can any of these characters actually create themselves? Can any of this game come into existence by itself? You'd say, no. What if I were to ask you, can something dead or inanimate create this? This game that we're looking at right now that I'm playing. You'd say, well, of course not. It requires a mind. It requires intelligent people or the game would never exist. Right? Of course. I mean, that's you'd have to be stupid. But what if you were in a room with somebody that didn't believe in game developers or a person who doesn't believe in writers and all that, or that there's someone outside the monitor or the computer or the game actually looking in? While I'm playing this game, time and space and matter is completely different than what I'm actually experiencing because I'm outside the game in the console or PC game or whatever the hell you're playing. We're on the outside. We're like the God looking in. We're able to see what the figures are doing. We're able to see what their choices are and their decisions, right? I'm not omniscient or omnipresent. It's just that because the game is set up in a certain way, it's interface, I'm able to watch it and see what is happening. Right? I can actually see the characters and their choices and all that, and I can assist them. Now, I set up the code and script for my followers to protect me. What, do you need? what if I had not put that in there? 
I also gave them the ability to where they wouldn't die unless I personally killed them. The NPCs will run with me and they will protect me with everything they got. I give them the weapons, I give them the clothes, I give them all the resources they are required, and they fight for me. They do what I basically set out for them to do. I had a goal. I gave an objective purpose and meaning to these characters. Their purpose and existence is to protect me and follow me till the end of time, at least in the game. Now, some of you are probably asking, what did you mean about the whole space and time thing? Well, because I'm outside and I'm in a completely different dimension than inside of my computer, time for me is different. Hours go by longer. Moments and choices have more impact. But inside the game, time is different. Within an hour, this game can go from daytime to nighttime. But the characters will never notice. They will never be able to contrast the difference between their time and my time. Because of where they are and their limitations. To me, that is how I view God. I view God as being the guy who's outside the monitor. And we're the ones that are in the simulation. And that God has designated people to be in our lives that will protect us. Talk to us, hold us, love us whenever we need it. They're not NPCs, though. They're not robots. Because God's ability to code is the goat. He's the boss. So he's much better than anything Bethesda can come up with, obviously. And that should be expected. If you believe that there's life out in the universe and you believe that there's entities that have existed far longer than humanity, then surely if they're humanoid or sentient or don't require the same physical form as us, they'll be affected differently from things like pain and suffering. They can experience it. They can observe it if they put themselves in the position or come down to our level. And there's that. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, is that these characters, they wouldn't even have the ability to protect me or follow me around unless I had went in and coded them to do so. So how do atheists explain their own coding? How did the coding happen? They would try to describe it as it was a natural act. It was something that just happened because of the environment and variables. Really? Does any of you think that something like Skyrim, which is less evasive, less, technologi less technological, could come into existence by itself? Do you think that these followers can program themselves? No, there's only two ways that these characters could create themselves in this entire world known as Skyrim, or at least region, you would require a living, sentient person outside of it to code it and script it, or you would require an artificial intelligence. But even an AI or artificial intelligence or even an alien 
would require some kind of explanation on why it exists in the first place. And we would have an explanation, wouldn't we? At least for the AI. AI exists because we designed it, we programmed it. And it's going to respond accordingly. And it's going to go and grab the information that we ask for because we programmed it to be able to do that. If we didn't, it would just simply be an empty blank browser. So this is one of the main reasons, ladies and gentlemen, why I believe in God, and I also believe that God actually coded morality into us. Now, just because the morality is coded into us, we've also been programmed to be able to seek alternatives to the moral code that has been put in there, just like uh, Skyrim. You have been set to be able to have the choice and the alternative to fight for good, save the people from dragons, or you could just mind your business and farm all day and let dragons come in and pillage and set your settlers and people on fire. You could become the dragonborn or you could become the nightmare of Tamriel. It's your choice. But you've been coded with all these abilities. You've been coded, not predetermined or set to do these things. But the creator, the developers, they knew when they were making the game, they knew that with all these options, you'll either do really cool things, you'll either be the most awesome good guy ever, the killer of dragons, or you'll be running around sniping people with your bow or killing innocent people and doing all these things. Now, let me ask you something. Knowing that, could that make the developers evil? The developers created you a good game. They gave you all the resources. They gave you all the abilities. They gave you all the instruments and equipment. And you choose, instead of being the dragonborn and taking all the choices and alternatives that lead towards good, you choose to do bad things. Why? Because you're bored. Or maybe you've got psychological problems and you've decided that you want to do evil shit. Does that make the developer evil? Oh, I'm still here. Does that make the designer of the game bad if you choose to do something bad? Ask yourself that. The designer created the game. He's given you every resource possible to be whatever you want to be. You can be the best version of yourself, or you can be the worst. Now, let's say the developer is watching your character, your avatar, your NPC, and you continue to kill and destroy, and you continue to take out character after character, killing quest givers and people who are trying to give you goals and objectives. And you keep killing everything around you. So one day the creator decides, all right, this is a failed attempt. This character is not good and it causes nothing but reckoning and wrath and destruction in the world I created. So 
the designer of the game decides that you need to be deleted, that you need to be removed out of it because you won't change, you won't make good choices, you continue to get off on hurting and harming people and animals and everything around you. You and your friends are going to complain, obviously. You're going to be like, but if you love me, you'll let me stick around and do all this. You may even ask the question, why did the creator even do this for in the first place? Why did he put me here? Why does the creator expect me to follow these rules or do these things? Why Why can't I just, if this designer and programmer loves me so much, then why can't I just do what I want to do and get away with it? Well, it's because you've made every other person in the game miserable. You've done a bunch of unnecessary things. You've been given every opportunity in the world to do something good. You chose not to. So it seems to me that the only option is, is that you're deleted, you're removed. Do I feel bad about it? Why should I feel bad about a, a character being deleted that had no intention or interest in ever doing anything good or doing anything right? And then the next question I have to ask all of you is, if the character, the avatar, did not have coding set in place where it was allowed to do good and evil, then what kind of character would it be if you didn't put any script or code in it for it to have these options or abilities? Well, it would be defined as dead, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be any life. It would be a character that doesn't have any parameters or doesn't have any objective. It doesn't have any meaning or purpose. If there's nothing to fight, if there's nothing to do, if there's no quest, if there's no goals, if it's as empty as Fallout 76, then what's the fucking point? The point is, is that you get to experience life, and life is good or evil. Life is whatever you make of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's the meaning of life. For the atheists out there who say, well, there is no objective morals, isn't there? When you play the game, don't you see that it's been programmed? It's been set up, that there's a system in place? Everything from your environment to the fire that you see there? Everything around you is completely and utterly coded? If you were actually living within the simulation or within the program and you were not aware that there was something outside of it, you would think that this is the only one true life, right? That's what atheists say, don't they? They say, this is the only life I have. This is the only existence I have. There's nobody on the outside of the monitor. There's nobody looking in. There's nobody who coded things and set things together. Okay, and like I said earlier, if there's no code, if there's no script, if there's no point, 
then the game means nothing, and if the game means nothing, then you mean nothing, right? If there is no good or evil, there is no code, then you're simply a bunch of pixels on the screen, and that's it, if anything. I've asked um, people repeatedly, I've asked atheists, why do you think we have pain receptors for? Why do you think we have this ability to feel? And the non-believer will respond with a very surface response. They'll say, well, if we couldn't feel, then we wouldn't comprehend pain or when we're hurting. Okay. But why does that exist for? Why is it that whenever my character is hit with a sword, or I hit another character with my sword, the blood splatters? Why is it that the characters that I hit or crush with my shield scream out in pain? Or at least respond as though they're suffering or hurting? Well... It's because they were programmed to. If I didn't have my little health bar and I didn't hear the screams or yells and didn't hear the sword as it slashed, if I wasn't able to experience the sound and the visual, then I wouldn't even know, right? And it wouldn't be much of a game if you couldn't do that. If you couldn't plant food, if you couldn't be able to block with your shield and do all these things, then what would be the point? It's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? In order to feel as though you've accomplished something, you have to get through hard times. In order for me to feel as though I've achieved something, I need to be able to get the dragon stone, right? I need to face a dragon that will most likely be very painful for all those who are experiencing it. But if I take out the dragon, then I become the dragonborn. If I don't face the conflict, then how do I know what is good? I have to experience something bad in order to be able to experience the good that comes from it. That's interesting about good and evil, right? If you are able to have a conflict with something evil or bad, and you're able to morally accomplish or achieve getting beyond that thing to accomplish the reward that follows, whether it be on a psychological level or mental, physical, whatever the case, right? Then you feel good. It makes your, your body and your mind feel good. I did something good. Although it's terrible if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, there's a dragon that runs around and it kills all these people and it does all these horrible things. We need your help. Well, if that, didn't, that event didn't happen, 
then you wouldn't be able to have the future experience of being able to stop it and actually understand what it's like to live in a world without such evil doing these things in the first place. Of course, there's always the possibility that you'll face the dragon and you'll be too weak, you'll be too uneducated, you'll be too noobish, and you'll die at the hands of the conflict. The atheists would see that as game over. The Christian of the simply re-roll, start over, or resurrect. How do you see it? Do you start? Do you reload? Do you reload from your last save? Keep on going? Or do you just say there's no point? It's over. Game over. Turn it off. Shut down your PC. Shut down your game. It's over. So back to the original challenge of survival, right? Why would someone allow themselves to be killed for the children of somebody else that they don't even know? And especially someone who has a, a vastly different theological view than themselves. If you really believe that the game is over, then what's the point of what you did for these kids? Do you think that the game is over for you, but the existence continues to go on? The game continues and doesn't require you. You're not necessary for the world and time and space to continue. You're not relevant anymore. Just because you have died doesn't mean that humanity doesn't continue to prevail. That you're just, you're less than that of a spoke in the wheel or the machine. I'm going to say something that's going to piss a lot of people off. But, sorry, I got a little hungry there. My son brought in some pizza. If you decide to allow your life to be taken instead of the lives of the children, aren't you necessarily saying that a world where you exist isn't going to benefit for the better? Because you're saying that the world needs the children, but the world doesn't need you. If you don't mind, dear atheist, how did you come to that value system? How did you determine that the life of strange children that you've never even met or known have more value in existence than your own? I'll take a sip of my coffee. I want you to think about that. It's so dark. <laughs> so dark. See that ruin up there? They call it Earth. I was born 
Where did these emotions come from? Are these instincts? That's the go-to explanation for everything when it comes to the atheist. Evolution did it. We have survival instincts and we have tribes and we got to fight for each other or we won't survive. Right? But why do we got to fight for each other in the first place? And why did humans even get to the point where they thought, oh, we need to get together and help each other? There's a lot of animals out there. When they see one of their group get jumped on, they don't do shit. They run off. Or they just fucking stand there and watch. Now, to be fair... I have seen countless times where humans stand around and watch people get raped. I've seen humans stand around while a little kid is being beat to death. I've seen humans stand around and all scratching their head, wondering if they should do anything. And it seems like nowadays when people see something bad happening, the only thing that comes to their mind is not the instinct to save themselves or the person who's being victimized but the question is how quickly can i get out my fucking cell phone and hit record and stream the whole thing for views on youtube never mind that you might get shot or killed because you're standing there recording this shit or maybe you're actually a part of the group that's doing the killing or the suffering right so you don't think that you're in any kind of danger. There's no consequences. Isn't that odd the way a lot of people think? I really believe that the internet causes some people out there or a majority of people who spend too much time on it a form of mental illness. Where when you think you're on a computer, you're in fantasy land. Like you think there's no consequences or there's nothing that's going to happen to you anymore. You literally assume the role of a a godlike entity you think that you're safe and that you can say and do whatever you want and when you're out in public and you see that there's a car accident that happens and the first thing you do is oh wow i'm gonna have to record all this so people can experience it <laughs> and you don't think oh man Somebody might have died. Somebody's kid is dead. Somebody's mother or father or brother or sister is laying on the fucking cement, bleeding to death. No, all you can imagine is the more I get on film, the more I record, somehow you feel as though you benefit from it. So I'm not, I guess the reason why I mentioned all that, that dark shit that I just said was, where is that tribalism attitude that people talk about? It seems to me that when people run into buildings that are on fire to save babies, there's not a lot of people like that in the world. That seems like a very rare type of person, right? Have you ever watched uh, one of these building fires where somebody screams, there's children up in there, they're trapped. 
Like a hundred people will stand the fuck around doing nothing. But one person out of the group who you would never even expect that perhaps comes off as an outsider, a stranger is always the one that runs in to get the fucking job done. But everybody else just stands around and they record or put their hands over their mouth and go, Oh my God. So it doesn't seem to me that the tribe thing is a really good explanation for anything. Is it even with animals? They say, oh, we've actually seen video footage of animals more than other animals that have died. I watched a video where a dog tried to cross the street and it got fucking smoked. It got hit and it basically got its legs mangled and it could not move itself out of the road. And cars just kept flying past it. And another dog decided to cross the road, put itself in danger. It bit its buddy on its fur and dragged that other dog off into safety and sat there and, and basically mourned it as it watched the other dog die. It was sad. It was horrible. But it was beautiful at the same time because you've seen that dog do something that you don't often see dogs do. I can't tell you how many times I've seen dogs kill cats. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a dog die or an animal die and then the other animals don't do shit. In fact, they're waiting for it to die so they can fucking eat it. And they don't give a rat's ass about the dead animal that's laying there. They don't mourn it. They don't have a funeral. There's no ritual, no candles lit. They just fucking eat it. Or, <laughs> believe it or not, there's some animals that will actually go up on the corpse of another animal and fuck it or piss on it, or wiped her ass. Just recently in the news, there was a homeless guy who was going around shitting on dead possums on the road. I kid you not. Look it up. It's on Google. So when atheists tell you that um, groups do this and they fight for each other in order to preserve the tribe, it's a fucking lie. It's a lie. The only reason why people keep each other around is because they think that somehow the other person will benefit them. It's not because they care about them or love them or respect them. They keep people around because they think that if they get in some shit, that person will take care of them. But the moment that they don't think the person's useful anymore, they fucking let them go. So is that really love? Is that really survival of the fittest or instincts? Or is it just you keep a motherfucker around until their usefulness is out of time? So where the hell do all these emotions come from? You always hear people talking about, oh, I'm more logical and rational than you. I'm into science and you're fucking stupid and you believe in sky daddies and fairy tales. Well, that's interesting to hear. Thank you for the insult. But where the fuck do you think that logic and rationality comes from? Do you even know what logic and rationality is? And if you do know what it is, how did it come into play? How did such a word and its definition come into existence? What variable in the environment created such a concept? 
What was it that happened in evolution that makes you somehow think that your monkey blood and monkey DNA and juices are your fucking lizard part of the brain is somehow better than the next dumb animal standing right next to you? Why is it that someone who thinks that their life has no meaning or purpose? <laughs> Do you notice that? Have you noticed that when looking at atheists as well as looking at transgenders and looking at these different groups out there who are usually against God, they're the first ones to suggest that suicide is the solution. They're always ready for a government that's about anarchy to let them do whatever the fuck they want, from stealing to killing to destroying. And in the end, they actually somehow see themselves as morally superior and more intelligent than everybody around them. Why is it that stupid people always think that they're more smarter than other people? And why is it that it consistently shows that people like this, who are pathetic fucking bottomless slugs, tend to be the most narcissistic, where they think that everything about them is more important than everybody else? I can't tell you how many times I've seen transgenders fight each other as well as atheists fighting each other. And then they have the audacity to say, well, you Christians disagree with each other and fight. There's a difference between having a disagreement with another person who just happens to be in your club or your group, right? And then there's another difference where you try to tear their self-esteem down, tear down their identity, tear down them as a person emotionally and mentally and physically right if two religious people find themselves in a room together and they're arguing about is jesus god or is jesus the son of god are we under the commandments and all this and they start getting loud about it there's a big fucking difference between that type of behavior and wanting to slit the other person's fucking throat simply because they have a different version of atheism than you right I don't know, I, am, am I fucking crazy for thinking that way? That there's a difference between an adult disagreement or to agree to not agree type of deal over that of somebody who fucking absolutely won't become friends with you, won't respect you, won't want to hang out with you unless you think exactly as a carbon copy like they do. Isn't that weird? yeah it is it's it's very weird isn't it oh goodness eating sausage pizza over here You know, if I were to ask you all right now, why is it that when someone dies that you know, that you've met, or that you've spent a lot of time with, why is it that you go to a funeral and you cry? Why do you look down at the body of that person that you remember having experiences with and feel so fucking bad and terrible? Some of you will cry. 
Some of you will get sick to your stomach. Some of you will wish that you could join them wherever they went at that point. Now, I want you to ask yourself something. If there isn't a God that coded compassion, sympathy, and love inside of you, do you believe that love and that compassion, that sympathy, that loss comes from the environment? Do you think that the dirt beneath your feet, the wind in your hair, the gravity that holds you down, the variables of the environment when chemistry hits chemistry somehow made that happen for you? Those experiences, those that qualia, that feeling whenever you see someone you love create something beautiful, and you remember that in your brain, have you ever wondered where the fuck is that information stored? It's almost like you're a projector, isn't it? Like you're you're able to rewind the the information in your head and relive it. There's a lot of people that sometimes rewind their future and go back into the past and then go on living in their past. They rather live in the experience that they that's already come and gone as opposed to move forward. Where the fuck does that come from? Can anybody explain to me what happened in the environment or what happened to your monkey brain to cause you to give a fuck about what's going on around you in the jungle? Why does it matter? Do you think that whenever a fucking ape sees another ape that it hung out with or even had mated with, that ape goes off and gets destroyed, how long will the ape feel bad about it? And if it does feel bad about it, why does it feel bad? What about bananas and eating fucking mice off of your own hair causes you to be able to experience joy and happiness or even the desire to mourn your dead? This might come off really dirty and weird, but I often wonder why a duck, whenever it's walking around a pond and it finds another animal that's dead, perhaps another dead duck, what the hell's going through its fucking head that makes it think it's a good idea to hop up on that dead duck and fuck it? Like a necrophiliac. Why would it do that? What's going on in its fucking duck brain that makes it want to do that? All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Brett Keen, and you've been enjoying my show. I'll be doing some more live streams in the future, and we will philosophize and talk and all that shit. Cool, huh? All right. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs>